yet another week of Behind the Lens. I'm Debbie Elias, film critic, creator, and host of Behind the Lens, where we go behind the lens, below the line with the movers and shakers, the TV and filmmakers, and talking to producers, directors, writers, actors, sound mixers, sound editors, cinematographers, production designers, composers, choreographers. Uh, Have I left anybody out, Pam? Editors. Uh, And this week, we haven't had, we have not had a creature creator and special effects artist in a long time, but today we do. Uh, And you're going to hear that exclusive interview with Robert Kurtzman in just a minute. But we're counting it down for the holidays and awards right now. Um, Now, in addition to hearing my exclusive interview with Robert Kurtzman talking about his latest film, Black Friday, so appropriate for this week, people. Uh, It is Thanksgiving week and Black Friday is this Friday. Um, Joining us at the midpoint of the show will be writer-director Brett Wagner talking about his his film, The Big Bend, that is currently just blowing up on the film festival circuit. Um, It is quirky. It is beautiful. There is a lot of metaphor in it, so I'm really excited to get to talk to Brett later in the show about it. But first, if you're listening to us, obviously you are listening on AdrenalineRadio.com. But if you're bored and you want to see me just sitting in the studio looking dumb, um, but you can also see our beautiful tablescape if you go to the AdrenalineRadio.com Facebook page with the Mevo live stream. And if you do, I have to give huge shout-outs. Once again, Netflix... You just never cease to amaze me. Of course, I do understand that uh, another another gifty was sent out this past week, which the UPS driver absconded with after filling out a fraudulent delivery notice. Uh, but I digress. Um, thank you, Netflix, for the incredible package of goodies for Maggie Gyllenhaal's directorial debut. Uh of The Lost Daughter. Um, It's a stunning, stunning film. And folks, do not be surprised to hear Maggie Gyllenhaal's name called come Oscar nominations morning or with any of the Guild Awards or Critics Awards uh, as a Best Director nominee and or winner. Um, She is very adept. Uh, She has a directing. She has a very deft touch. And she understands pacing. She understands storytelling. And I think so much of that comes from the kind of performances and characters that she's portrayed as an actor over the years. If you get a chance to see The Lost Daughter, please, I highly encourage it. It is stunning. Um, You cannot look away. It's mesmerizing. It's a psychological thriller. Uh, And Maggie just knocks it out of the park. Um... I know with our Critics Association Awards, our nomination, Hollywood Critics Association, um, this week, our nomination, we're submitting our nominations uh, to be compiled and come up with a master list of nominees for us to then vote on for uh, our Critics Awards. And I can tell you right now, no secret, Maggie's name will be on my nominations ballot. Um, So check out The Lost Daughter. And also... 
thank you, Netflix, for the gr- awesome, awesome goodies from Down Under f- in support of Back to the Outback. I haven't seen the whole film yet. I saw a 30-minute quote-unquote clip and then spoke with the film's directors. The interview is already up on Behind the Lens Online.net, so you can read it there uh, and see the images of this incredibly... I love what I've already seen in 30 minutes. The animation is fantastic. And this is another film, an awards contender for best animation. Uh, So thank you, Netflix, for these wonderful goodies from Down Under. Tim Tams, Violet Crumble, um, I don't know, the Koala koala Caramel. Yeah, um, so... It's going to be fun checking this. And yes, they, you even sent a jar of Vegemite. So <laughs> I don't know if I'm brave enough to try Vegemite. But thank you for that. And then, of course, something that film critics and movie reviewers look forward to. If you're lucky enough to get this every, each year at awards time from Neon. Neon puts together for us this incredible booklet with a screener for each of the films they've released this year. Uh, And this is their fifth anniversary, and if you're looking at the video or you're looking at uh, the live stream right now, it is beautiful. And the films that they have this year in awards contention are Ailey, All Light Everywhere, Hiara, The First Wave, Flea, In the Everth, The Year of the Everlasting Storm, the worst person in the world. They must who t- filmmakers must know my sister. What can I say? Titan Spencer, Pig, Nicholas Cage, Nicholas Cage, Nicholas Cage. Um, hot awards contender for best actor with Pig. Uh, also Petite Mamam and Memoria. So, uh, you know, it's just spectacular, spectacular getting this. Um, from Neon, and it's always so appreciated, and uh, I look forward to it every year, and this year they really outdid themselves with their presentation package for us. But, you know, hey, I'm pretty happy with, you know, bottle of alcohol for the lost daughter. Uh, <laughs> we'll have to check that out from Edward Wines in New York. It's called Gulp. Oh, made with organic grapes. Well, that sounds interesting. Well, <laughs> you know, because this is the thanks- long Thanksgiving weekend, you're going to be looking for all kinds of stuff to see in movie theaters and streaming at home as well. And just some title, some films that you really should check out if you get the chance. I got to tell you, Resident Evil, Welcome to Raccoon City. I still can't break a review. Embargo is still in force until 6 o'clock tonight. Johannes Roberts, writer, director, reboots the franchise. All I can tell you is see it, see it, see it, see it. Um, House of Gucci. Wow. Wow. Um, Lady Gaga, front runner, best actress. I got to tell you, she is amazing. Costume design right in there. Um, just amazing performances. Jared Leto, unrecognizable, another awards contender. Um, Disney's really, Encanto comes out, the, the magical enchanting Encanto is out this weekend. Don't want to miss that. 
It opened this past weekend. It's going to be here for a while. Ghostbusters Afterlife. Wow. I am so in love with this film. It is not only a trip down memory lane, and trust me, people, bring a box of Kleenex. Not a few tissues, a box. You're going to need it when you get to the third act of this film. McKenna Grace, this will juggernaut her into the stratosphere as a true movie star. She leads this reboot of the Jason Reitman-written directed, and directed franchise um, with Dad Ivan sitting right behind him, looking over his shoulder. I'm so sorry, Jason. Um, I know what that's like. But the film, it, it has touches every nostalgic beat takes us into the into the the new generation i want to see more with mckenna grace leading the way it is wonderful and i'm going to go pay money to see it again uh finch aunt finch uh starring tom hanks is streaming it's a beautiful film well worth your time tiktok boom is on netflix Licorice Pizza, 8-Bit Christmas are out. King Richard with Will Smith. I'm not a fan of the film. I'll admit it. I'm not a fan of the film. Um, some people like it. I'm not. It ha I have issues with it. There, there's an, un an unbalance to it uh, that doesn't play well. Then, of course, also on Netflix, you've got Love Hard and Hey... This week, you'll be able to, on BehindTheLensOnline.net, you'll be able to hear my exclusive interview with cinematographer Shane Hurlbut talking about the lighting and lensing of not only Love Hard, but his philosophy and his process. It is one of the most informative, chock-full of tips and techniques from Shane. And that's just part one of his interview. And this part's 41 minutes. There's another 45 minutes that you'll find probably next week talking about his new Filmmakers Academy online. It is, he's long had the Hurlbut Academy. Before that, he had his blog um, talking about filmmaking, cinematography, lighting, lensing, um, you name it. Shane was talking about it. He is one of the most creative um cinematographers for Active Valor for Scott Waugh and Mouse McCoy years ago. He created new hardware to house a camera uh, to allow, and it would have been very, very helpful in, in today's circumstances after what happened at Rust uh, to fire something directly into the camera that protected the camera and it did not get injured so that you could get that spiraling bullet right at you. In frame, and it was—it's a military film. They're very appropriate to have that. For he worked again with Scott Waugh on Need for Speed, and came up with all kinds of rigging for cameras to capture that some of those incredible images of the race car, of the various race cars going all through the circuitous course. Shane is—he's brilliant, and he truly is one of the great creative forces in the world of cinematography. So, and for him to create this Filmmakers Academy is just spectacular. And you can actually join it free. You can join it free. 
Now, there is a pay platform as well that has more advanced, individualized um, benefits to the Academy, but you can join it free and see instructional videos from some of the top filmmakers in the industry, in all different disciplines, directors, writers, producers, uh, editors. It is a wonderful, wonderful um, setup. Uh, I've been going through it when I can, uh, looking at as many of these instructional courses that he has, and it's phenomenal. But I'm going to have more about that on the website uh, the week after Thanksgiving. But be on the lookout for that. And, of course, Princess Switch 3, Vanessa Hudgens, it's even better than the first two. It is fun. It is frothy. And, again, Mike Rawl and his team bought up every single Christmas light in the United Kingdom in making this film. I didn't think they could top the, the lights that they had in, Prince, in Princess Switch 2. They've done it here. And... All you Hallmark fans out there that loved the Christmas Waltz last year with Will Kemp and Lacey Chabert. Uh, and for those of you that learned for the first time that Will Kemp was a trained dancer, he is in Princess Switch 3. And we get to see Will dance a tango with those incredible lines that he brings to his dance. Um, but they're just these are just a few, a few fun things for you to think about and watch over the holiday weekend. But now, let's turn our attention to Black Friday. I love this film. Anybody who's worked retail out there, raise your hands. If you've worked Black Friday retail, especially 30, 40 years ago, you know you will be able to relate. Because every customer you look at, by the end of the day, they are monsters. But what happens... When an alien parasite crashes to Earth in a meteor, in a meteor, crashes through the roof of a huge toy store and then starts growing and replicating and taking hold and infecting the cause everybody in the store. And it comes down to a small team of employees to try and hold their ground and make it out alive. And anybody that's ever shopped or worked on a Black Friday knows it's doubtful. There are going to be casualties on Black Friday. Not everybody will make it out alive. Robert Kurtzman and his team were the ones responsible for the creature creations here. Practically done. You're going to hear Robert talk about that. Um, colorful creative, inventive, uh, and he went so far as one of the actors uh, is his son. And he takes advantage of the fact that he put a five-and-a-half-pound prosthetic on his son's head. And he had to wear that all day for shooting. But without any further ado, take a listen to my exclusive interview with Robert Kurtzman talking about Black Friday. Hi, Robert. Hello, how are you doing? I'm very excited to be speaking with you this morning. Well, thank you. I'm excited to do this. I have been such an admirer of your work for decades. Let's be honest. Um, I'm old. <laughs> uh, I'm older. So, <laughs> 
But I have always just love what you've done, what you've done for Don, for Don Coscarelli, who I worked with in the, in the early days of his career, what you've done with Kevin Smith, the beautiful stuff you, you did with Oz, The Great and Powerful, your own film, Wishmaster. I mean, it's, it's like your imagination runs amok. And <laughs> you can create anything from a prosthetic and makeup standpoint, and you never cease to amaze and dazzle me. And you have done that here with Black Friday, Robert. We got the mother of all hellacious Black Friday shoppers in front of us, thanks to you. And I'm glad, I'm glad you guys enjoyed it. Oh, my God. The film is so much fun. Anybody that has ever worked a day of, in retail in their lives, especially a Black Friday is going to so love this film. And you have perfectly captured through old school visuals and practical effects and prosthetics, you have truly captured what one behind the cash register thinks of those customers coming up on a Black Friday. Because you don't think kindly of those people. And you have captured, brought out the worst in each of these pe of these people that go insane on Black Friday, and it's just so delicious to see what you've done. So I'm real. How early did you start with Black? Get involved and start with Black Friday because you've got a lot of prosthetic and a lot of creature work going on here. Yeah, uh, it wasn't. You know, from the time I got the call from Warner uh, Davis, the producer, uh, and received the script, um, and once I uh, made the decision to, to jump on board, which was kind of a no-brainer, I had talked to Casey, and, and he had some great ideas, and it was obviously something a little different, but we were able to do some unusual creature designs for it um, that uh, we only had a few months I mean, from the time we hit the ground running and started uh, creating the, the effects um, to the time we were shooting. So it was kind of a quick schedule, but um, we have a, you know, I had a really good team of artists on this and everybody um, came together and, and uh, were very excited about the concepts and the ideas. And, and uh, so the artists had a lot of fun and um, we had a lot of fun on set. What it, what was the inspiration for a lot of the looks of the creatures here? Because you retain a lot of the human characteristics in the prosthetics and the makeup. One of my favorite ones happens to be what you do to your own son, to Louie, his new guy, with the Hawaiian shirt and as he denigrates into a monster. Uh, so I'm curious what inspires each one of the individual uh, looks that you come up with? Well, uh, the initial, I mean, Casey sent some um, visual reference to us, and uh, it included um, these weird worms uh, that were an idea for the proboscis uh, idea that, that they would spit up. Um, but then there was like these weird, um, uh, there were shots of uh, vultures, which I'm familiar with because I did my movie, The Rage, which we had these monster vultures in, but it sent me these colorful vulture pictures and the textures on the vultures' faces and, and things. And that kind of, um, that segued into the beak idea, which was uh, that these alien beings would uh, have some sort of 
beaks that would gradually grow out of them. And, um, but without it looking directly like a big, you know, big bird beak. Mm-hmm. Um, on, uh, so we kind of made them like serrated teeth um, that fused together. Uh, so it wasn't like, it wasn't really spaces between the teeth once they're, once they're in their final stages. It was more like a, a, a serrated beak, you know. Um, so that was really, I mean, he, he would send me images and then we'd incorporate images of basically real um, creatures and real life um, animals and things uh, for color reference and everything. So, um, and then we just kind of twisted it to the fantastic, you know. <laughs> Twist it, you did indeed. And I'm glad you mentioned color because that's one of the striking things. The store itself is quite bland for, you know, a Black Friday. Not much really visual references with Christmas decorations until we get into the little monster lair that's being built. But each of these creatures you bring color into with the makeup, with with the prosthetics. And I really love that because it draws our attention to the individual shopper. And I thought that was really interesting. And you used a variety of, of color too. Yeah, Casey um, from the beginning wanted uh, things to be uh, not your standard zombie brown colors and things, but a little more vibrant um, and colorful, especially like with the Mega Shopper. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, and then the the pods are what we the the um, growing sacks, the, the pod that the, the shoppers uh, morph into or get absorbed into. Um, those were always intended to be very colorful. So uh, we had a lot of um, pulsating uh, LED light uh, set up inside of them that could be controlled. And it, it just made the whole thing glow like with a red and pink um, color, which was really cool. So, Yeah, I don't normally think of pink when I think of monsters, but you got beautiful pink happening here. <laughs> it's very visually enticing. Now, how much of this, I'm, I'm so happy that this film, that Black Friday is old school, practical, prosthetics, makeup, not CGI, not VFX. So I'm really curious about the, the um, process in creating the quote-unquote mega, mega shopper and the ultimate grandma mega shopper that gets in, infused into this. Was all of that done practically on a, a miniature scale model? Did some of that get enhancement? Because that ultimate being is just so fantastic. Yeah. Uh, well, it was a it basically it was a standard um, size uh, actor performer in a suit um, that we made with a mechanical head and and everything. And what we did is um, when we were on a location. Uh, Casey planned out the shots and then uh, we shot uh, plate shots basically the background plates of the store and all the elements that had to be shot in the parking lot and then they cut together the film so that we knew exactly what shots were being used and then we had to do a day of shooting uh, in Los Angeles where we went out and uh, put, put the actor in the suit and we um, shot green screen shots 
specifically to every cut that we needed um, for that sequence. Um, and then they composited it into the uh, the back into the background plates so that it would look like uh, this thing was 80 feet plus tall. Mm-hmm. Um, the giant kazu monster itself. <laughs> so, um, and that, you know, that that's where the CGI was used in, in the film. And there was a few other times where we had um, proboscis uh, shooting out of their mouths. I mean, obviously we were shooting in COVID times and there was some concern with having one thing attached to one actor's mouth and then sticking on another actor's mouth. And um, so uh, at times we had to use, you know, um, digital effects. Sure. Um, but uh, for the most part, like 95% of everything's practical with, you know, some CG enhancement. Mm-hmm. You know, how closely do you work with your cinematographer on a film like this? You know, here you've got uh, David Gruda as, your, as the DP. Because of the color, because of the light, but also, you know, because of the very nature of, of prosthetics, how closely do you work with the DP and here with David? Yeah, it's always, we work very closely with director of photography on every project. And, uh, you know, because <clears throat> their ideas... And lighting and, and um, creating the atmosphere, of course, and, and you're shooting in dark spaces sometimes. And um, and then you have your color scheme on your monsters, and you want to make sure that those are those read. And so, he, you know, he David's like a guy who fine-tunes all of that so that you don't lose all of that detail when you're shooting your monsters because you... You know, you spend money on the monsters. You want to see the monsters, you know, but you also want to see them in atmospheric lighting, not mm-hmm. overly lit. And you know what I mean, to where it, it just ruins the the um, the scariness of it. Um, and he uh, he's really good at that, you know, with the shadows and just seeing enough of the creepy monster to make it cool, you know. So, but we on every show, it's like that. You work with the DP ahead of time. A lot of times they're looking for color samples of, um, or anything they can get ahead of time that uh, will help them get an idea of uh, how this thing looks in their lighting setups. Mm-hmm. Now, what, what are you using for the actual prosthetics at this, at this point in time? Because I know there have been you know, some technological changes in terms of the, the products available. Are you still running with latex? You know, what uh, what substances are you using for these? Uh, a little bit of everything. Uh, most of the prosthetics were silicone, mm-hmm. uh, uh, encapsulated silicone prosthetics. But, um, like, when it, with Angry Granny and with the Mega Shopper, those, because of the size and uh, the thickness of parts of that creature, those suits were uh, foam latex. Uh, had it, you know, it has to do with the weight. Um, sometimes in the thickness of, of certain things, but uh, and as far as the other prosthetics on the show, just such as uh, Emmett Louis, Louis, my son, his prosthetics were on the verge of being a little too thick to do as silicone, but we we were just at that point where it was, and, and they weighed a little bit on his head too, because at the end of the day, his neck was like, wow, I'm really sore from carrying this five pounds around on my head, but. Um, so you make those calls, you know, which material you're going to use based on those things like thickness and weight. Mm-hmm. 
How many prosthetics did you make for this film? Because we've got people in different stages of, of transformation. Um, you have the ultimate reveals. So I'm, I'm curious if you even have a, a body count. Uh, it was pretty massive as far as the amount of stuff because um, a lot of stuff we, we like extra stuff for everything because at times we weren't sure what performer or what stunt person or extra was going to have to be put in makeup. For, so um, we basically a variety of things that we sculpted, like different backs of the head, facial pieces. And um, so we had kind of this big shop set up in the back of the store where we had everything on shelves, and which was kind of cool because they actually had all these empty shelves there, which we just stacked <laughs> everything on. Um, and we would uh, be able to mix and match things uh, according to who was cast on that day that needed to, to play a, a particular shopper. Um, when it came to Angry Granny and Emmett and Mega Shopper, those things were very specific um, and created for those particular actors. But like Lou, the truck driver, we weren't sure who was going to play it, so we made various sizes of things that we could um, make work on the actor. Like the, we had a, a bigger back of the head and a smaller back of the head, mm -hmm. not knowing which which actor would play it. So we we created a lot of prosthetics, um, and it, you know, and tried to do it where they wouldn't play in them for more than a couple days each. Mm -hmm. You know. So, uh, and a lot of times it might've just been one application. And then, um, but we, you know, we were shooting this film in five weeks, so. Wow. It, it you know, there's a lot to do in five weeks every day, so. Yeah, I was gonna say, you know, people, you know, talk about, oh, two weeks. Yeah, two weeks is tough on when you're doing like a small indie shoot, but when you throw in something like this, with this many prosthetics and the detail that's involved with time consumption involved with that. Five weeks is not much time at all. Wow. I am really... And a lot of the makeups took, you know, on average, two and a half to three hours, you know, um, to put them in, in these makeups, so... Mm. Long, long days with that. Oh, my God. Well, I've got, I've got one last question for you, Robert, before I let you go. I'm really curious about the craft itself. The fact that there are filmmakers like Casey that are going, that are Kevin Smith, that are all sticking with, you know, the old school, the practical, with the prosthetics. I mean, it keeps you working uh, and <laughs> keeps letting your creativity flow. But what is the gift that it gives to you? Uh, it's not the kind of thing where somebody wakes up one day and says, I'm going to make creature creations for the rest of my life. But so I'm curious, what is the gift it gives you that after these 30 plus years, you still keep going strong and coming up with incredible visions such as what we have here in Black Friday? Well, uh, I really enjoy just creative process. Um, not only working with the directors on, on a film and thinking of things said cinematically, the process cinematically, but also I love working with the artists, uh, uh, my, my team and the other artists that I bring on to these projects. And I've worked with them off and on for years, these artists, and, and there's certain 
I don't know, there's a certain shorthand with them that uh, when we get together, we, we just come up with really fun ideas and, and we have a good time doing it. Um, you know, there's times you work on shows and and you're not, uh, you know, might not be the greatest show ever or you're not having a good time on it. But when you do, when it does click creatively on a show, it's just really, um, it's just uh, really uh, fulfill. Uh, it, it's just a fulfillment thing, you know. It's um, it. Uh, you just feel great that you've accomplished something, um, and uh, I, I, it's the only I keep doing it for thirty years now, plus thirty plus years, um, uh, because I still enjoy the process, the creative process. So, um, if I wasn't doing this for movies, I'd be still creating art. Uh, in some fashion, so. Well, Robert, here's to another 30 years. I can't wait to see what you bring us next because every time you just, you best yourself with something, some gem that pops up, and you got a bunch of them here, so I can't wait for the next one from you. Oh, uh, thank you. I'm glad you enjoyed it. Very. Uh, it's a fun. It's a fun movie. I'm so excited to be talking about it. Actually, so. it it is a very fun movie, and hey, I'm all for Black Friday movies with a horror comedic bent to them, because uh, some of this it really is funny. Uh, so, <laughs> oh, Robert, thank you so much. This has been a real treat getting to talk to you this morning. Awesome. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Have a great day. And uh, enjoy your Thanksgiving. You too. Bye-bye. Bye. And that was Robert Kurtzman talking about Black Friday. Directed by Casey Tebow. Written by Andy Griscoviak. Um, stars Bruce Campbell. Devin Sewa. Ivana Baccaro. Uh, Ryan Lee. Michael Jai White. Louis Kurtzman. Stephen Peck. It is out now. You'll love it. You'll love it. Um, it's so much fun. And Robert's work, of course, you know, from Army of Darkness, Dust Till Dawn, Spawn, Wishmaster, House on Haunted Hill, even Spy Kids 1 and 2, John Dies at the End, uh, on and on, Oz the Great and Powerful, Tusk, Dr. Sleep even. Uh, Robert is a legend, uh, and he does not disappoint and actually elevates and brings us some new looks with Black Friday. So... Now, we're going to switch gears. And without any further ado, we're going to welcome writer-director Brett Wagner. Hi, Brett. Hi, how are you? I am fine. How are you doing? I'm doing great, thank you. I mean, just what everybody needs over the holidays. You take a trip somewhere, you plan on having a good time, relax with some old friends. The Big Bend perfect place to go but the best laid plans fall apart i suppose so i've never thought of it as a as a holiday movie but (laughs) this is definitely a holiday movie uh you know people go away you have your big plans you know you want to get away just be with people still in a in an almost socially distant setting mind you so miss dr fauci would be very pleased uh, true. <laughs> where you're sending people. But this film, number one, 
the dichotomy, the juxtaposition that you have and the metaphor that you create with your visuals and your story is outstanding, Brett. Absolutely outstanding. Um, Thank you. For the listeners, give your synopsis of what the film is. What is this story? Sure. Um, The Big Bend is a suspenseful drama about two families that haven't seen each other in a while, in a matter of years. And one of them's from Texas, one of them's from the East Coast, and they gather together in the remote West Texas desert, right down near the Rio Grande and the Mexican border, in a place called Terlingua, where the Texas family has bought a little desert home that they plan to turn into an Airbnb. And uh, the families get together. Both of the families are going through a private crisis that they hope to keep from each other for the sake of enjoying the trip. But on a hike, one of the children goes missing, wanders off, and that emergency winds up pulling the lid off of everything that both families are dealing with, and they have to kind of confront all of it in one big, glorious mess. Uh, I think that that sums it up really well. (laughs) (laughs) I've practiced. Oh, my God. But the beauty here, setting this where where it's set, and with these dynamics and these hidden crevices within marriages and family dynamics and health issues, um, this is where you and your work with your DP, with Paul Atkins, I got to tell you, you couldn't have done better than, than Paul Atkins for this film, who is so used to photographing nature and our world and the oceans and the deserts. And he does that so beautifully here because this area, you've got all these caves, you have, you know, millions of years of, you know, waters rising, waters receding, the strata in, in the rock formations, uh, little hidden ca- caverns and caves. It is spectacular. And all of this is so metaphoric for the traumas that the families are going through internally, um, the ruggedness of it. But at the same time, this, the area, it's so beautiful. Just like the families, they are. I mean, they're beautiful families, especially when you look at the kids in both families. The kids steal the film. I hope you know that. All four kids steal the film. <laughs> um, not the least of which is a young one named Delilah Wagner, uh, who plays Fiona, who wanders off. And boy, I got to tell you, Delilah is your daughter. Mm-hmm. Um, you have some of the coolest scenes in there for her. Duct tape into a makeshift kind of dune buggy careening through the desert. Um, you know, getting all the kids climbing in the dirt, climbing on rocks, uh, just, you could tell the kids were having the time of their life. I don't know if you as a director and as a parent was having the time of your life watching this, uh, as you were shooting it, 
But boy, oh boy, these kids steal the film, especially Delilah. She is radiant, her innocence, her openness. um, She's got some chutzpah to her. And (laughs) you've got this running metaphor with this frog she finds. And she's always tinkering and she creates her own little water wheel and water well. And, you know, everybody says the frog's dead. No, he's not. No, he's not. No, he's not. And that frog is so metaphoric for the secrets the family have where everything is hidden and then suddenly everything comes to life and from that new life is formed. And that happens with our frog. You know, Fiona was right all along. Her frog just needed water. Well, yeah, so, so we, we covered a lot of ground there, and I would love to get back to, um, to Paul and the cinematography. Yes. But, but to say a few words about uh, my daughters in the film, um, yeah, I had, I had written this based on experiences that we had with the family of my producer, Aaron Brown, uh, who, who lives in Austin but has uh, a place out in West Texas. We had a, a trip very much like this, minus the more traumatic, <laughs> dramatic parts of the story. Um, but what first made me want to make a film in this part of the world was the feeling of being there in this desert that is both very stark and very beautiful uh, and, and compelling and spiritual, but also dangerous just yeah. on, a, on a practical day to day basis. You can get heat stroke, you can get bitten by a rattlesnake, you can fall into a cactus, you can get lost. Um, you're exposed to just about everything that the world can, can, can offer up to kill you uh, when you're out there in the desert. And that elevates whatever you might be going through emotionally and personally. Mm-hmm. I mean, at least that was my experience. And that was the feeling that I really wanted to capture with this film. And so we created some dramatic elements, um, but they derive from things that, that really happened. And so after I'd written the script and we'd managed to put some money together and we were in the casting process, um, I had no trouble finding the little boys, uh, Gray and Gavin Matthews, who are experienced Hollywood child actors. Um, and their mom, Cassandra, is a very experienced set mom. But I was really struggling to find uh, actresses to play the parts that were loosely based on my own daughters. Mm-hmm. I was just seeing kids that I thought were a little too camera ready, you know, who yeah. just learned a little bit too much about how to perform uh, and, and didn't have this, the kind of just raw, natural presence that I really wanted for this. And, and so... At a certain point, I just said, well, why don't I read my daughters and, and see? And I, I put them on tape. Neither of them had ever done any acting before. And I thought they were fantastic. I thought they were completely natural. And so I sent it off to my casting director and I showed it to my producers and I showed it to uh, other actor friends. I wanted somebody to to call me out if I was just seeing too much in my right. Own kids, right? Um, but I wasn't, I don't think. Um, I think they did have that, that screen presence and that natural ability. And, and so I decided to cast them. And that meant that my wife could come along on the shoot and all four of us were down there for the month 
in West Texas, and it turned it into a family adventure. And the kids, especially Delilah, you know, definitely had the time of their lives. They were doing something they'd never done before. They were being, you know, taken care of and treated like professionals. And they behaved like professionals. They really did. Not not always when they were offset, but but on set, uh, they were pros. And it was really uh, great to see. And I'm very, very proud of them. I mean, um, but if you'd like me to, I could circle back and talk a bit about the cinematography. Yes, because well. this is, you know, I don't even know how you and Paul could decide which way to point the camera. Because every direct, is, every direction you point, it's gorgeous. There's something there that is either you're gobsmacked looking at the wonder of it or, you know, it's giving you that sense, that chilling sense of foreboding that, oh, my God, something could happen here. Um, but one is, each is angle one is pretty. Things. Go ahead. No, I was going to say each each angle, north, south, east, or west, is just as pretty and beautiful as the, as the next. Yes, um, and, and that actually did make it easier to shoot. You know, we, we had to do one day in Los Angeles uh, during COVID, uh, day of pickups. All the actors were there. They couldn't travel back to Texas. And there's desert outside Los Angeles sure. that doesn't look so terribly different from the desert of West Texas. The difference is that when you're shooting it, you know, in the desert outside Los Angeles, you maybe have one direction you can point the camera. Mm-hmm. And if you if you look too far to the right, you're going to see power lines. You look too far to the left, you're going to see structures. You know, there's there's something everywhere. Yeah. Uh, out in West Texas, you you really could often turn the camera 360 degrees and have an amazing vista to look at. And that did help us a lot uh, when it came to schedule because you want to shoot in the right direction. You want to shoot when you've got the sun in the right part of the sky with mm-hmm. backlight. That's how you get a lot of the, the beautiful shots, kind of, you know, rule number one. And whenever we had to shoot, we could be reasonably sure that there would be some angle on our location that would work for us. But um, it's not just the natural beauty. It's also the talent of my cinematographer, Paul Atkins, mm. who I've worked with for 15 years or more. He also shoots with Terrence Malick, yep. which I think is very obvious. Um, he shot a lot of the most memorable shots from the film Tree of Life mm-hmm. um, uh, and, and, and other Malick films. Um, he and I have, have worked together on a wide range of projects, very different projects, and we just have a shorthand. We, we can communicate very easily uh, you know, he doesn't hesitate to tell me when he thinks something's going on with performance or the the story. You know, we can have that conversation as well. He's not just about the shot. Um, but we, you know, our, our tastes in, in how to how to frame a shot, how to compose, have have blended and overlapped such that we we can land on the right thing uh, very quickly. And mm-hmm. we did have to we had to move fast on this shoot because we had a lot to do and the, the moves from one location to another often ate up hours of the day because everything is so remote and spread out. Mm -hmm. And at the end of long bumpy dirt roads that, uh, that our number of shooting hours were often, you know, fairly limited and they were limited by having kids, you know, children can only shoot for six to eight hours a day. And, uh, and so we were often very pressed for time. So 
so it was good that we had that shorthand. Uh, but yeah, he's 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 my closest creative collaborator, and and uh, I'm really proud of the work we did together. You know, how long did it take you? And I'm assuming Paul was with you in this venture to find the specific locations because some of those where we've got one of the boys standing on top of let's face it a mini mountain of rock um Mm -hmm. you've got delilah out there you've got to find areas where you can navigate between the cacti i mean as we learn very quickly lesson number one snakes and cacti forget about scorpions it's snakes and cacti um, and that obviously yeah. had to come into play with your selections of shooting areas uh, and locations. But importantly are the, the crevices and the caves. And, you know, did it take you a while to find the specific locations? So I had been to this part of the world on two previous occasions. And I'd spent a you know, cumulative few weeks down there. When I wrote the script, I was always writing for a location that I already knew. I, I knew where I wanted to shoot every scene of the movie before we got down there for our first scout. Mm-hmm. That said, what often happened was that the locations I wanted to shoot would be logistically prohibitive, either because they were just too far away mm-hmm. from someplace else that we had to shoot on the same day, or they would be on private property and we weren't able to track down the owner mm-hmm. of a particular piece of land. Sure. Um, that can be a real problem there because if you live in West Texas, it's because you don't necessarily want people to reach out to you. <laughs> and uh, so we sometimes had trouble figuring out how to get permission for a particular place that you might want to shoot. Um, so, so there was a certain amount of, finding replacement locations for the original ones I'd had in mind. And there was a certain amount of compromising over, you know, issues of distance and just the challenge of getting to certain places with all of our gear and equipment and people. Uh, But other than that, we, you know, I did have a pretty clear idea where I wanted to shoot everything before we even went down to scout. But we went, you know, a couple months before production, we made a trip down there, spent five or six days figuring things out, seeing locations, and then uh, nine days of prep before the actual shoot, which was not nearly enough, but it's what we had. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, you know. And then once the shoot started, we often had to reinvent it again because we would be hit by uh, a lightning storm, a flash flood, a, a road that was washed out, something else preventing us from getting to the location we intended to, and we'd have to, we'd have to come up with something else on the spot. Well, now, that begs the question, because you have a really beautiful scene in there with lightning in the sky and rain. Was that fabricated? Was that done in post? Or did you actually, did Paul manage to capture that when it was happening? Yeah, all the lightning in the movie is real. It's all all captured on set, um, on set, on location. Um, it was, but we always had to shut down whenever the lightning started, you know, because it's dangerous to shoot in lightning. So anytime you see lightning in the movie, it's the last shot or two that we took before production got halted. Wow. Or in some cases, maybe we were viewing the lightning from from a cover location, and mm-hmm. we're just literally filming out of the back of out of a, the back of a house. Sure. Um, but but when you're thinking of of the dune buggy scenes with the lightning going off behind them. 
you know, that was just the last take we were ever able to get before we had to stop shooting for that afternoon because the lightning and, and rain was coming. Well, now, mentioning the dune buggy scene, how challenging was shooting that sequence? Because you're covering a lot of territory. Yes, Delilah is safely duct-taped in the passenger seat there. <laughs> um, you've got Nick Massiangelo, who plays Carl, um, and the story could have gone so differently based on his character had you chosen to do so. But sure. it didn't. You really took the high road here and made it very hopeful and very upbeat. Yes, this little girl gets lost. She meets somebody. She's not afraid. And whereas we could have had a really ugly scenario happening, no, he feeds her. He talks to her. And they're hanging out like little buds. Uh, <laughs> it was charming. But you look at the amount of ground that you're driving the dune buggy on, um, and you've got, you know, Delilah there all strapped in, goggles even. I mean, she was set. Um, you know, how challenging was that to choreograph that and shoot it? It, you know, it had its challenges. Uh, I knew when I wrote it that I was writing in something fairly complex. We managed to find just a perfect-looking dune buggy right there in the area that we were able to rent. It's actually the chassis of an old Volkswagen bug. Mm -hmm. And between our scout, when we located that dune buggy and its owner, and when we shot, we asked the owner to uh, do some modifications to make it safer, uh, including installing seat belts for, uh, for Delilah. So she wasn't actually duct taped in. Uh, she appeared to be duct taped in, but she was actually seat belted in. Um, and, uh, you know, the, the buggy ran fine. I got a chance to drive it. It was, it was actually very easy, <laughs> as easy as a Volkswagen bug to, to drive. Um, what was more challenging was finding places where we could do the tracking shot with mm -hmm. the camera. We, we had sort of an off-road style golf cart that could drive alongside it with a camera mount on the front that stabilized the camera. That took a lot of doing. Um, but, Aaron Brown's brother, Jamie, uh, specializes in, in that sort of rigging. And he came out for a couple of days and got us all hooked up with that. So it was really fun. Uh, it was especially fun for Delilah. She and Nick uh, <laughs> bonded, you know, over those scenes. And I think it's just that and, and you know, mingling with the horses uh, was, you know, just two sort of uh, thrills. Delilah that I think she'll never forget. Hey, that would thrill me to get to go out there, get wander <laughs> off. Nobody's looking for me. I don't care. There's horses. You find somebody who's going to help you, feed you, let you sleep, then take you on a dune buggy ride. Heck, I'm I'm with Delilah. You know, <laughs> that that's a way to go. Now, beyond the kids, how challenging was it putting your adult cast together? Because you've got some, you have paired up your actors so perfectly. You've got Jason Butler Harner as Corey, Virginia Cole as Melanie, the parents of Fiona and Olive. Then you've got David Sullivan and Erica Ash as Mac and Georgia, the parents of Maverick and Connor, the the Matthew boys uh, roles. Mm -hmm. 
they are so perfectly matched as couples. Uh, I have to imagine it was not that easy to get that kind of, of chemistry and pairing. So believable um, between each couple and then between the two couples as friends. You buy this from, be- from the minute this film starts. Thank you. Yeah, that's one of the things I'm, I'm most proud of is how uh, cohesive the families seem. They, you, I don't think you question that these marriages, you know, are a decade or more old. That these Not characters at all. go together. And, and the kids do look like the parents. You know, it, it all, I, you know, I, I, it's a pet peeve of mine when families don't look like they could be related to each other. Yes. And, and I <laughs> was really determined to avoid it. At the same time, I, I have to say there's a lot of luck involved, too. Um, Jason was the first person we cast. Uh, we ca- we made an offer to him. I loved him on Ozark. I mm-hmm. thought it was a brilliant, one of the most iconic performances of the last several years on television. And uh, when he said yes, that really got the ball rolling. Um, I knew by this time that my daughters were going to play his daughters. Mm-hmm. So we had to find uh, a Melanie who was believable in that partially built family unit there. Um, but also we were just having trouble with that part uh, just due to availability. Um, and Jason and I were kind of brainstorming together about actors that he knew who would be right for it, that we could just make an offer to. And I had seen Virginia in Big Little Lies, and mm-hmm. I had liked her in that, but a very, it's a very different role, much younger yes. seeming role. Um and so he, he was the first one to bring up her name, and I went and, you know, watched some other stuff that she had done. And, uh, you know, my casting director, Tina Becker, uh, thought she was great and was on board with her. And so we offered it to her and then found out that she was pregnant uh, with twins, as a matter of fact. And oh, God. So we had to cope with that idea. And it was funny because her manager or her agent, I'm not sure which it was, had called me up to say, listen, just, just so you're aware, Virginia's six weeks pregnant. And, and I thought about it. And I'm like, well, six weeks, that's not much. She might not even be showing at the end of, you know, a month of shooting. Mm-hmm. And then she called me and said, I told my manager that I was six weeks pregnant two months ago. Oh, and God. he hasn't updated the math in his head. <laughs> I'm four months pregnant. Uh, and then I realized, okay, if, if I want Virginia, I'm going to have to address this head on in the script. And I actually rewrote the script to incorporate her pregnancy mm-hmm. and this mystery of her pregnancy, which I don't want to talk too much about. No, I don't we want don't to spoil every, everything that's happening in the movie. No, but, um, but that, uh, knowing that she would look a little bit pregnant while we were shooting was a factor. And of course her safety was a major you know, consideration mm-hmm. as well, uh, out there in the desert in the heat. And then, uh, David Sullivan, came through an audition and I, I, he, that was a part I was struggling to find. I had a, something really specific in mind just about the energy and the, the, the sort of, uh, yeah, the energy of this character. And I have to say, David's the only one who captured it. And mm-hmm. he was perfect. Um, his character very loosely based on Aaron, the producer, 
and I, I feel like they just they just matched. They were peas <laughs> in a pod, and and they become became really good friends over the course of the shoot. Um, and then Erica also came through an audition, and I just thought she was incredible. And when you go look at her other work, she's she's done a lot of work, but it tends to be very sort of glamorous, high gloss, LA based uh, comedies and thrillers. And and had I looked at her work first, I would not have thought of her as right for this kind of earthy character, mm-hmm. you know, out in the desert, uh, which is how I had it was pict- pictured Georgia. And so fortunately, the first thing I saw was her audition. And I just thought she was great and captured the emotions and the internal struggle of Georgia so well. And yet she brings a certain glamour to the cast as a whole mm-hmm. that Absolutely. I think works for it. You know, she's very striking and she just looks looks sort of amazing out on the, in these desert vistas. So, uh, yeah, I got really fortunate. It wasn't like I had time to do chemistry reads or anything like that. Mm-hmm. Everybody more or less met for the first time down there in Texas. Um, David and, and Georgia, or rather David and Erica, arrived after we were already shooting uh, oh, wow. with, with the other actors. And so, you know, they met. I didn't get to introduce them for the first time. I didn't get to see them at all until the first day that I shot with them. So, uh, so in that sense, I'm fortunate that they're just such talented actors that they slipped right into these lived-in relationships. Mm-hmm. But also, I think there was a, just a chemistry on that among that cast that, um, that really served the movie in a beautiful way. Oh, yeah. I mean, you watch Jason and David, you know, together as, as friends, and you believe that they've been friends going back all the way back to, the, to college or high school. Mm-hmm. Um, yep. You don't yep. question that at all. And then you watch Virginia and Erica together, especially in the bathtub scene, the mud bath scenes. And yeah, it's like they've been BFFs forever. Uh, <laughs> and they're just yeah. they're just chilling. Um, yep. And, you know, Mac, Mac and Corey are such different characters yes. as well, they're different people. But you, you so you kind of can see how they were friends 20 years ago and they've hung on to this close friendship and yet they've also diverged in so many ways mm-hmm. and and this is an attempt to reconnect um uh but it's but it's not like they're identical people they're 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 very different people oh very much so and i'm glad you mentioned you know the energy of mac and that david you know had that energy because mac has a very specific energy and it really mm-hmm. buoys a lot of the film um especially when they're getting ready for the first day to go out, take the kids out and hike. And you get, yeah. you get, you get the cacti and snake lecture. <laughs> <laughs> um, but he's always just, okay, let's go, let's go. And he, you know, around the kids, he's very buoyant. He's very upbeat. So that's a very specific energy. And the film really needs that. Um, because it's not a big action film, but you don't want a melodrama that's, you know, downtrodden right. in the desert. Um, right. And this is where that energy starts, is with David's performance as Mac. Um, just so yeah, well done. I, the comment comes along quite a lot, actually, when people see the movie. It's like they they say they are always 
being surprised by how they feel. You know, one scene to the next, there mm-hmm. can be, you know, a very heavy, you know, sad, dramatic scene followed by a scene of levity or, you know, yeah. or comedy followed by something, you know, uh, suspenseful. And I, and I tried to take the audience on a journey that way. You know, I really, I like to be surprised by a movie. I like to go on a little bit of an emotional roller coaster. And I, I don't, although my subject matter is often somewhat dark, mm. I don't like a slow brooding quiet yeah. film. And I, and I don't think this is, I think it, uh, it really, uh, is a bit of a ride, even though it's tackling difficult subjects. No, and I, I, you know, kudos to working with your editor, with Katie Ennis, um, because I think you truly have achieved that ride. I mean, the film keeps moving, the pacing is really good, and you do, you give us moments of frustration, you give us levity, you give us outright comedy, um, you give us some throat, you know, throat-grabbing, you know, heart-in-the-throat moments of, oh my God, what is happening? And then you give us the sweetness that Delilah brings as Fiona. Um, and I got to tell you, the way, you know, I have to say it again, the way that you structured this and wrote out the scenes with Fiona and Carl is so sweetly done. And you don't expect to see that. That was, I think, the biggest surprise for me in this film is how you wrote and how you played that. And Mm -hmm. that adds an element that we don't typically see in a film like this that has family drama and all. You you don't have the sweetness um, that Delilah and Nick bring in those scenes as Fiona and Carl. Mm -hmm. Uh, And that I just... Yeah, thank you. uh, It surprised me and I loved it. And... I do have to ask, you know, how long were you and Katie in the editing room working on this one? Katie and I were never in the editing room. Because you were we Zooming. Movie during COVID. <laughs> and uh, um, I, I got to sit with her for one week at the very beginning of the process uh, before the shutdown happened. And we did our select together. We sat there and we watched every performance and highlighted the ones that, you know, we got on the same page about performance Mm -hmm. and about the loose structure that I had in mind for how the shots would go together into a sequence. Um, And then I never saw her again to this day. (laughs) Uh, We would, we just talked by the, you know, talked by phone. Uh, We had zoom meetings. She would, she would cut chunks of the movie, post them for me. I would watch and make comments. And if she were, you know, any less of an editor, that would have been really, really difficult uh, especially as you got down toward the end of the process where you want to sit there and, and quibble over individual frames, you know? Um, uh, but, but she was so much on my wavelength and she's such a great editor and such an intuitive editor. Uh, she, she really responded to, to the footage. She, she loved the movie for what it wanted to be. Uh, it has unusual rhythms and she didn't, try to force it into any kind of conventional shape. Mm-hmm. And uh, I just, I'm incredibly fortunate to have stumbled on her. I didn't know her before this project. She was recommended by another editor that I was trying to hire who was unavailable. And um, 
and man, I'm just, you know, I want to work with her from now on. She, uh, she's currently cutting the, the new season of Dexter. Mm-hmm. Um, so she, you know, she does high end television. Uh, but I think she really enjoyed doing a movie, uh, because it's a little bit different, you know, it's, yeah. uh, it's, you're, you're telling, you're, you're, you're establishing a complete world and telling a complete story all the way to its conclusion mm-hmm. in under two hours. And that is a different challenge than cutting an episode of television. Very much so. And so she was, uh, although <laughs> we didn't have nearly the budget to, uh, to pay her what she's accustomed <laughs> to being paid, uh, I think she really loved this process. And also she was furloughed from her show for a, you know, for a solid year of the pandemic. And, and so I was the beneficiary of that. Oh. And we really had a lot of time to, to finesse this. Well, finesse it you did because it's I, I love mm-hmm. this film. I love this film. So Thank now you so much. you're still on the fest circuit. You're yeah. still you're still yeah. just getting started on the fest circuit. Just getting started. I know you had you were at Austin. Um, are there any more festivals already that you're slotted for? Or is just the way uh, you're yes. in the so, waiting so we game? Started, we started at Austin. Um, that was our world premiere, and then we played at the Hawaii International Film Festival mm-hmm. in uh, earlier this month, which was fantastic. And it was just a wonderful. It's a great festival, extremely well organized. They take great care of you. They were in a big, beautiful new movie theater. Uh, both festivals, we sold out our screenings, and and they added screens for us, which was fantastic. Uh, so we, we got in front of a lot of eyeballs, which is what this is all about. Um, and then I do have additional festivals coming up, but I am not allowed to announce what they are yet because the festivals themselves Haven't uh, announced. have not made their, their official announcements, which these days they do very close to, to when the festival happens. So I'm excited about our upcoming screenings. They, uh, you know, we've got, um, uh, a, a really important premiere for us coming up soon, uh, but, um, but I can't say what they are. That's okay. But will you be posting it on the film's website so that if people are in the area, they can try and get tickets to go see the film? Oh, as soon as I'm allowed to announce it, of course, I will uh, be splashing it all over the place. And we have our social media, both Facebook and Instagram, is at the Big Bend Movie. And any announcements about where the film is going to be as well as little glimpses behind the scenes and production stills and things like that are on both the Facebook and the Instagram. So anybody who's interested can keep an eye out there. And uh, certainly our, our PR machine will be um, uh, announcing um, upcoming screenings as soon as we can. Uh huh. Yes. That PR machine, one of which is Annie. Yes. <laughs> Annie's all a good, of which is Annie. <laughs> all of Annie's a good PR machine. Annie's a good PR machine. You're in good hands with her. Oh, Brett, this has been wonderful. I can't thank you enough. This has been such a joy. I hope you'll come back on the show again. I would love to. Yeah, this was uh, really a lot of fun. I love talking about the movie at, at such length. So um, thank you very much for the, the time. I I do not believe in four minute interviews like every other media place out there. So <laughs> I want you to talk well, about this. One allowed us to go deep. Then that's the whole idea. 
Oh, Brett, thank you so much, and I look forward to the next time. You're quite welcome. Me too. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. And that is, yes, we ran over, people. You know that we always run over. That is all the time we have today. No live show next week. Um, no live show next week. But the following week, December, December, I, I want you guys to know I'm already booking talent in February for the show. Um, but when we're back on December 6th, we're talking Christmas film, Twas the Night. We're going to have the filmmakers uh, from Twas the Night with us. Josh Tessier is going to be back with us again. Um, we got a lot of good stuff coming, plus a lot of interviews that are coming up. Uh, I'm actually doing interviews on Thanksgiving Day, Skyping in, in Berlin and New Zealand with some fun stuff for you, awards contenders. Uh, so you'll be hearing more about that in the coming weeks. So I'll be back here on December 6th. I hope you will be too. Until then, I'm Debbie Elias. This is Behind the Lens.